Well, first of all, I just want to bless each one of you for your efforts yesterday as we went out and uh, walking in a big city, strange town to many of us, and amidst a vast variety of people, but taking a, just a, the greatest message the world could ever hear, really. That's what we've got. The greatest need that mankind has, we have the answer to. And He has made us stewards of that message. What a blessing we have. And I just, I know that if you're feeling like I felt, our efforts just seem and feel so small and so inadequate to exalt a great God of heaven with sometimes just a few moments, just a little bit of opportunity to connect there, maybe seeing some that we wish we could connect with and, and there's barriers or restrictions or whatever. But with all that, God takes even the feeblest efforts and applies His blessing upon that. So I just want to thank you for what you did and you just, you just let God give the increase. He will. He delights in just taking small things, feeble little things, and blessing and putting His power and anointing upon that. Well, we're at our last message of the five that I was given that related to promises that Jesus gave of the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit. The first one, of course, was that He would be a teacher and guide. And that seemed like that was directed for the disciples that were in the world. Second message was that he would testify of Jesus. And that we saw headed two directions, to the disciples and also to the world. The third one was that he would reprove the world and that was really to call out disciples from the world. And then we went through the message on that he would show you things to come, just an unveiling of, of all the, the promises and the blessings that God has for us while we are here in the world. And this last one is that this Holy Spirit would glorify Jesus Christ. Let's look in St. John 16. The verse that follows the one that we used yesterday. St. John 16 verse 14 says, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall shew it unto you. Verse 15, All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall shew it unto you. I want to spend a little bit of time again. I realize that uh, Pete on Wednesday evening uh, talked about this word glorify some. And I want to just, I had to look it up again, refresh my mind on it. It may be a little bit redundant, but it's an important word. Especially as we study this subject of what the Holy Spirit is going to do for Jesus. But it... This word really goes out in a lot of different directions because 
Someday we are going to be glorified as well. And so we need to know what that's about. Well, that's not part of our message this morning. So a few definitions that I've written down. Uh, it has to do with, with an opinion of something. To think, it, beginning initially with to think or to suppose or to be of an opinion. And then it goes on from that to high opinion. To praise or to extol or magnify or celebrate or to hold in honor. I think of the, the words of the psalmist when he said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I think that, that little verse kind of encapsulates the idea of glorifying. It's, it's, we can't make God any bigger when we talk about magnifying him, but we can certainly make him larger and more visible and more um, appreciative in the eyes of others. And so that is really what the Holy Spirit is, is doing as he glorifies Christ, is he makes him more appreciated in the eyes of the observer. This, in this case, it would be the spiritual eyes of the observer. To make glorious or to adorn with luster or to clothe with splendor or some of the synonyms and some of the other words that are used to expand on this word to glorify. To make renowned or to render illustrious. It kind of carries with it that, that idea of luster or glow or illumination or, or uh, uh, I'm struggling with words here as you can imagine because it's a difficult one to define. But I think it's important for us to try to as much as we can grasp the concept uh, another one is to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. I'm going to read that again. To cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. And I, as I study this, it seems to me like this is indeed the climax of all of these promises that relate to the gift of the Holy Spirit. One commentator that I read after said, claimed that this is really the chief of these various offices and responsibilities and duties of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. I thought about the verse in Isaiah chapter 48, 42 verse 8 that says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Does this give us any clue at all as to why the most vile sin of all, we could say, is having other gods before the Creator God? And that's why the very first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God alone is glorious, and God alone deserves to be glorified. And so he says, my glory will I not give to another. Nobody else deserves it. Nobody else reaches the level of splendor and magnificence and, and glory that God gets and deserves. And, alone, and that alone with Jesus Christ. Now I want to 
we want to really get this down to where we live today. I'm going to deal in a moment with the question, how does the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus? Because, you know, it's one thing to read this on the page here, the promise of Jesus. Holy Spirit's going to glorify me, he says. So how does that work? How does he glorify Jesus? And even more particularly in our lives, how does this work in our lives? We're going to explore that for a little bit with about uh, five points on how the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Thinking about yesterday's experiences, and I know we, our experiences varied. Some of us have had opportunities to do this before. We may have felt a little bit more comfortable going out. For some of you, it may have been the first time. Uh, I'm aware of that. And, and do not beat yourselves up at all for, for what you may feel like was inadequate. You didn't get done what you wanted to do. You didn't say what you wanted to do. You didn't even, maybe you didn't even communicate with anybody. That's okay. I understand that. I've been there. So, but here's kind of what we want to keep in mind as we reflect on yesterday's experiences or the experiences of our past life and then as we make plans to go forward tomorrow and the next day and the next day until the Lord comes. So the question is this, and I, I had to really search my own heart as I, as I asked this question. Did you and did I glorify Jesus yesterday on the streets of Seattle? Did I and did you glorify Jesus yesterday in your experiences on the streets of Seattle? The reason I ask that question is this. Is it possible that evangelism can be reduced down to one very simple thing? And that is simply glorifying Jesus Christ. Is it possible that it's that simple? I'm, I'm a simple-minded person, and so I like to reduce things down to the lowest common denominator. But is it possible that that's really what evangelism is all about, is really just glorifying Jesus? And even to, to make that even simpler, to pointing people to Jesus. Because if we are truly born again, believers, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we point people to Jesus, to Jesus, we do that out of our own experience. We heard much yesterday that, that prepared us for evangelism. And certainly it, uh, what I appreciated, one of the things I appreciated the most was the idea that, that we can't share something that we haven't experienced ourselves. Remember what the, uh, I believe it was Peter and John after they were, were accused and they were commanded to no longer teach or to preach in the name of Jesus. They said we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. That was their testimony. And I'd like to kind of bring this thing into the feature of our testimony as we develop this a little bit further. Thinking about this from another angle, you, I think I might have mentioned this in one setting or another. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy, who may have been a lot like we are 
It seems like Timothy might have been somewhat of an introvert, can I say, or somewhat timid, maybe not as outgoing as, as other people. And Paul writes to him and he says, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't say, Timothy, be an evangelist. It's possible that that was not Timothy's spiritual gift. But he just simply says, do the work of an evangelist. And that's what we are called to do as well as we speak and to, to share the things that we have seen and heard. So is it possible that evangelism can be reduced down to simply glorifying Jesus Christ? If so, we want to know more about that. So what is an evangelist? What does an evangelist do? Really, even that is quite simple. It is simply sharing the good news, the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the good news. What is an evangelist? He's a herald. He's just somebody that shouts through a megaphone and announces a message. I remember living in California, Modesto, California, as a boy growing up. And back in those days, newspapers were sold on the streets of Modesto. And there was these newspaper boys. And I remember, uh, it still rings in my ears today, there would be these boys that would be out there, and of course they didn't have megaphones and speakers in those days, but he would call and he'd, he'd say, Modesto B paper! Well, I had a hard time figuring out what's he, what's he saying there. But the, the newspaper in Modesto was the Modesto B. And so he would announce the Modesto B paper, and he would have a, his own unique way of saying it. He was a herald. That's what he was doing. He was announcing something. And so that's what an evangelist is, is he announces the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we have a lot of different ways of doing that and unique gifts. And, and it just thrills me to think about how God the Holy Spirit can fill each one of us in, with our own unique abilities and gifts. We have our own style of sharing the good news. And it may be in a very quiet way. I'm not saying we, we all got to get out there with our, our megaphones and, and preach or whatever. But even in our own quiet way of even just sitting down and just listening to somebody and just telling them about Jesus, that's what it's about. It's all about Jesus, really. So how does the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus? I want to start with point number one. By declaring Him to be God, as well as exalting His character and work. Point number one, how does the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus? It is by declaring Him to be God, as well as exalting His character and work. I want to read something here because as I tried to put this, this uh, concept of, of the definition of glorify together with the work of the Holy Spirit, I had to get it written out this way. So bear with me as I, as I just read off my notes here. I don't like to do this, but... The Holy Spirit shall make the person, character, and work of Christ of high opinion and esteem. I'm going to read that again. The Holy Spirit shall make the person, character, and work of Christ of high opinion and esteem. He shall lift up and exalt the essence of Christ. 
lift up and exalt the essence of Christ. All that Christ is, the Holy Spirit is going to lift him up. He shall draw focus and attention to Christ. In a sense, I didn't think about it till just now, but in a sense, I'm kind of reading the Holy Spirit's job description of glorifying Christ. He shall cause to make him an object of worship and adoration in the eyes of men. I'm just praising God right now that, because I, I wrote this down in a hurry and I realized that this is not my words. Amen. I just praise God that somehow he caused that to flow uh, into the computer and thankfully the printer printed. I always wonder about that. Is it going to print? You know, you get down to the wire here. Five minutes to go, hit print. Sure enough, praise God. I'm going to read that again. He shall cause to make him an object of worship and adoration in the eyes of men. And the last thing that I want to read here is this. He shines the spotlight on Jesus with the ultimate goal of saving men's souls. Praise God. He just shines a spotlight on Jesus with the ultimate goal of saving men's souls. That's point number one. It's all under the heading of by declaring him to be God as well as exalting his character and work. Now, I think that you probably will start to put a picture together here of what we've already said and emphasized in previous messages about the Holy Spirit is that he doesn't have any arms except your arms. He doesn't have any feet except your feet or a mouth or fingers or tongue or toes or whatever. So he uses those that he infills to do his work and those that he gifts for that work. So obviously in order to, to uh, do that, people have to have the experience themselves. They need to be new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so the second point in this message is that how does the Holy Spirit glorify Jesus? He glorifies by bringing salvation. It's the salvation of souls. That brings glory to Jesus. That, that shines the spotlight on Jesus. That helps other people to see the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, His perfect offer of salvation, His perfect sacrifice on the cross and all those things. So some of this is repetitive and building upon some of the earlier messages that I shared with you. But as he glorifies by bringing salvation, how does salvation begin? We talked about bringing about the conviction of sin. Pointing to a Savior as the solution to the sin problem. And calling people to repentance. Calling them out of the world. And remember, he doesn't call us out of the world Alone, but he calls us into something. And what is that? He calls us into relationship with him. Calls us into relationship with him. And that is, is uh, practiced and experienced in a body, the e Ecclesia. And as, that is, as, he, as he calls us out of the world into relationship and into a uh, body, that body is the becoming the bride of Christ. So glorification by salvation. 
If you have experienced salvation, if you've experienced these things that I've just talked about, then you have a testimony. You have something that is uniquely yours. You have something that you can share with others. You have something that you can, you can pour out of your life in your own words, in your own, your own salvation experience. Where you were. And if you were raised in a godly home, you can share that fact that you were raised in a godly home. But you can also identify with those that that were not raised in a godly home and share that with them, that you understand that you have an advantage that they didn't have. You want to empathize with them. You want to come alongside them and say, I know it may be harder for you than it was for me. But we all have the same Savior. We all have the same Lord, the same Christ that died on the cross. And I want to share Him with you. I want to tell you what He's done for me. This is my testimony. I'm trying to get this down to where how the Holy Spirit can glorify Jesus by using us as channels of that love for the salvation of souls. Your testimony. And again, it is not about me. It is not about you. It is about Jesus Christ. I think that might be an area where we could stumble up on. I know I could. I remember again the words of John the Baptist. I think it is so important that we reflect upon that. When he realized that, that there were other disciples, he was told that there were other disciples that were following after Jesus. And John the Baptist realized that his ministry was really declining. And what does he say? He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And he may have said it the other way around. I don't remember exactly. But the point is, that Jesus Christ must increase and I must decrease. Part of glorifying the Lord is, is getting the attention off of ourselves. And one of the things that I tried to do yesterday was, you know, people would comment about the, the beautiful singing and they would comment about the beauty of, of the people. And, and I would try to divert the attention from that to the Lord Jesus Christ. As, as soon as we possibly can, it's not about me. It's not about a group of beautiful young sisters or handsome young men that have godly countenances upon them. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. So as we, in a sense, we imitate the work of the Holy Spirit, maybe that's not the right way to say it, but as we are channels of the Holy Spirit working through us, yes, we, we imitate His same uh, goal, and that is to turn the spotlight away from ourselves onto Jesus Christ. It's about Him. And so our own testimony, whatever that is, is going to turn from, from getting the focus off of me to Jesus Christ and then what He can do for you. Glorification by salvation. I want to go on to the, second, or the third point, and that is glorification by sanctification. The Bible talks about uh, sanctification of the Spirit. That is a work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And we've talked about that some. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. He makes His home there. And guess what? If you get a new home or you get a new apartment or, or a place, you want to make things comfortable for yourself, don't you? 
You want to get things just, just right. Just a place where, where you feel at home there. This is your home. Well, the Holy Spirit's no different. We are an habitation of God through the Spirit. We're a place where He dwells. He wants to be comfortable there. I think some of the things that we heard about not, not grieving the Spirit, not quenching the Spirit, would relate to making our lives a place where He feels comfortable. And of course that involves sanctification. It involves getting out of our lives the things that would grieve Him and make Him uncomfortable. Sanctification. And He convicts of sin. We heard about that. He points to this Savior. I'm getting on to the wrong set of notes here. He indwells. He brings life. The life of Christ inside. He seals. He infills. He assures. He controls and affects our walk in the Spirit. And we talked about in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, how we are changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. All this is that same process of sanctification. So a little bit of review here, but I think it's important for us to get this down in our minds because the devil's going to want to snatch it away because brothers and sisters, this is powerful stuff. It's basic, but it is powerful. And our lives can be changed by it when we get this clear of what, what is first, what's most important, what's the object here, what are we after? Glorification by sanctification. I want to go on to the fourth point, and that is glorification by fruit bearing. You see, the Holy Spirit likes to, I shouldn't say likes to, this is his, one of his ministries is bearing fruit. I don't know if we still have that sign. I guess that's gone. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. And it is fruit that is identical to that which existed in the life of Christ. So he's, what's he doing? Once again, he's duplicating the life of Christ in our lives. Once again, I think that affects our testimony. People will comment and they say, well, your countenances are, you just appear to be so happy, so joyful. What is that? I think our testimony is it's not about me. What you see on the outside, it's not about me. If there's joy that's on my countenance, it's about Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is just simply producing fruit in my life that is the, the, that which would have been manifest in Jesus if He walked here on earth today. I hope we can understand that. It's not my fruit. It is not my fruit. I cannot, with all the energy, all the power, all the might, all the, the desire that I have, I cannot produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance in my own life. That is the work and the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to do that. So it's not my fruit. It's, it's about Jesus, and it's about the Holy Spirit producing that fruit in my own life. The glorious ministry of the Spirit as He glorifies Jesus Christ. I'm going to go on to the fifth point. 
The Spirit glorifies Christ by the church. Maybe you knew I was going to end up here. I don't know. But this is, in a sense, this is the largest point, the major point in the presentation this morning. And part of the reason it is is because I haven't spent much time with it before or some of these other points were simply review. But I want to go through this and take some time uh, to, to get this right because, you know, God can and will produce fruit in each one of our lives. God can and will receive glory from our lives, from our salvation, from our sanctification, from our fruit bearing. But it is also done in the context of his body, the church. Now, in a sense, most of what we're speaking about here is going to relate to the, to the church at large, but yet we heard uh, good instruction about the accountability and association responsibility to a local church body as well. Well, let's think about this from a, a perspective that um, begins with the multiplication process. Let's go back to John chapter 12 because when we take this away from the moving on from the feature of salvation for us as individuals, remember we said that, that salvation uh, happens one soul at a time one after another was brought into the body of Christ. Jesus gives us a little bit of a picture, a word picture of this uh, process, multiplication process as well as uh, the effect of his own uh, coming, suffering, and death as he predicts this. Verse 23 of St. John 12 says this. Actually, I ought to back up a little bit and explain the the uh, setting here. There were those Greeks that were at the feast, I believe, and they, they said, we want to see Jesus. That was their cry. And uh, I believe they came to Andrew. No, they came to Philip. In verse 21, they came to Philip and said, sir, we, will, we would see Jesus. And then Philip cometh and telleth Andrew and again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And I'm not quite sure what to make out of all that, but I think there's a lesson there for us about, about uh, the way people relate to people and about interaction. And, and maybe Philip didn't feel real comfortable about this on his own. And, and uh, maybe Andrew is more of a people person. I don't know. But, but you can maybe get some lessons out of that that would even help us as we, as we try to implement our own... Uh, interaction with people. So they tell Jesus. And then this is Jesus' response, that it's almost somewhat cryptic as he responds to them. And it says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. So Jesus is going to be glorified. He's saying we're getting closer here. We're getting closer, closer, closer to this time when the Son of Man himself is going to be glorified. Remember, the, the question is, we want to see Jesus. And he says, we're getting real close to the time when I'm going to be glorified. And then he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He's talking about the normal process of just simply planting one little seed in the ground 
that little seed has to die, give up itself, give up what it ever looked like before, give up its life in order that it can sprout and grow and be multiplied. If it doesn't die, it's going to abide alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. First, the little tiny shoot coming up out of the ground, and then it branches off. And before, after, uh, in the right time, of course, there are several heads that are on that, and it is multiplied, maybe several hundred times. Just one little, one little seed. So, how in the world does that tie in with these Greeks that want to see Jesus? I believe that what he is teaching here is that, is that there is glorification by multiplication. That little seed really became glorified. It became much more glorious than remaining if it would have remained one shrivel, dry little wheat or corn seed. Much more glorious. Several hundred times. Green, growing. Uh, has the ability to reproduce itself. All those things are associated with that which Jesus is talking about. So, first of all, I think he would be talking about his own very life, that he himself must die, must give up himself, must die, and then by him dying, his life would be multiplied hundreds, thousands, millions of times as his life is duplicated, replicated by the Holy Spirit in the lives of uh, all of those that would follow after him. So multiplication, the multiplication process brings glory to Jesus Christ. It also has an application in our own lives. I think that would be a secondary application that is as we die daily, as we daily crucify the flesh, then the very life of Christ can be manifest in our own lives. But I think the primary application is with response to the Greeks that really the way that the Greeks are going to see Jesus, the way that anybody's going to see Jesus is, is as his life is, is duplicated all over the world, clear down until he comes again for his body, the church. Let's go on. The Spirit glorifies Christ by the church, not only through the multiplication process, but by access for both Jew and Gentile into the church. We won't spend much time here because we mentioned it earlier, but let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Wanting to see how the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ by the church. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. I don't know if any of you have got into the habit of starting to underline the word spirit or anything that relates to the, one of the names of the spirit. Uh, in your Bibles as you come across it, but uh, here it is, verse 18 of Ephesians 2, for through him, that's through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So the Holy Spirit is instrumental in bringing both Jew and Gentile together and both having access unto, uh, unto the Father. That's the work of the Spirit, is to glorify Jesus Christ by making access where 
At one time, there was only the only ones that had access unto God, we'll say, would, was, would have been the Jew or those that would align themselves with the Jewish belief and become Jewish proselytes. Here, all that has been broken down. The wall of partition between Jew and Gentile was broken down and both have access by the Spirit into the church. The third point is that the church grows into a magnificent temple for God's Spirit. Still finding ourselves in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go on a few verses beyond that. I think I'll begin reading at verse 19. Now therefore, ye, meaning the Gentiles, he's writing to Gentiles primarily, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So he's talking about a building. He uses several uh, word pictures for us to get an understanding of what the church is about. And one of those is it's, it's a building. And this church, this building is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. So here's a building that is made up of both Jew and Gentile as we get our, our minds around the church a building in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. There it is again. If you haven't underlined it and you want to Mark your Bible that way, why it appears again. So you can kind of see how, how Paul in his letter, it just some, kind of flows off the pen here that every time there's the work of the Spirit, it can't leave him out. We need to understand his ministry and the Holy Spirit is instrumental in making the church or bringing the church to grow into a magnificent temple for God's Spirit. A glorious temple. It's a building. Using that word picture. Let's go on. Most of these we're going to find in Ephesians. Let's go on to the fifth chapter for a moment. And how is Christ glorified by the Spirit? Paul writes to the Ephesians in 5.18 and he says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but, we, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. We talked earlier about how in order to be filled with the Spirit, a lot of that involves the surrender of our will to His will so that we might be controlled by the Spirit. I, in my own simple mind, I cannot understand any difference between the word being filled with the Spirit and being controlled by the Spirit. And the reason I say that is even this very passage that we read where Paul uses the analogy of wine and how wine, a person that is filled with wine, there is no doubt whatsoever, but they are controlled by that wine. And so it is with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. And what a blessing that is. I guess I, I, I want to, to emphasize that feature. Can I say it feels good? 
I, I think that we can identify with that. It feels good to be knowing that, that, to, that there's a greater power that is taking over here. That this is not my flesh that's wanting to do this. And in some of our... Gordon? <laughs> Russ? Okay, thank you. Yeah, it feels right. Yeah, it, it's like there's uh, settings that we feel uncomfortable in. Our flesh feels uncomfortable. This, this is not, I'm out of my, my comfort zone when I do this. But I'm going to do it anyway. There's a surrender of the will. And there is, it's just like, in a sense, we put it in neutral so that the Spirit can engage and move forward in whatever work he wants to do, whether it's opening our mouth, whether it's putting a hand on another hand, whether it's praying, weeping, whatever. And again, I'm, of course, yesterday's experience is fresh in my mind as it undoubtedly is in yours. And so some of these things are being tied in, in, in a sense, with that. But that was... Another way in which the Spirit glorifies Christ by the church is that the disciples are Spirit-filled. Another one is that there is a, a healthy body with oneness and unity. A healthy body with oneness and unity. Let's turn back in Ephesians, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now that sounds like some effort that needs to be made, and indeed it is. It's an effort on our part to keep or to maintain something that the Holy Spirit already has, the unity of the Spirit. If you don't believe that, just try to get your mind around the Godhead, around God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the perfect and absolute unity that exists there. And that unity of the Spirit is a unity that is felt and experienced by the Holy Trinity and that is, is something that, that He wants to, us to endeavor to keep in the church, in the bond of peace. There's another passage of Scripture uh, back in John 17, 22. Now this, is a, this one is a little bit challenging to me. I thought I had it figured out, but I'm going to have to back up a little bit and say I don't. And you know what? That's okay. Recently, um, there in Cascade Valley, we went through First Peter um, as a, a Bible study together in our district. And there was some passages that, that I don't think any one of us, as much study as we put in that, I don't think any one of us could absolutely positively say, this is exactly what this means. We had some ideas and we figured out that there were some lessons that we can get from it. If it means this, here's some lessons we can get. If it means this, we can get some lessons from that. If it means this, there's lessons there as well. But that just kind of shows uh, the, the depth of God's Word and how He has something for everybody. And the most intellectual person can still keep on digging and still keep on learning and never say that, okay, I've, I've arrived here. St. John 17, verse 22. We're thinking about a healthy body with oneness and unity. Jesus, this is Jesus' prayer 
his high priestly prayer. And he says, And the glory which thou gavest me, praying to his Father, the glory that thou, Heavenly Father, gave me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. What is that? What is that glory that God gave him? I'll tell you what I thought it was. And it, it may be right, but there may be, I want to leave room for, for a difference of understanding here. And it would be a good thing to discuss. When I read that, different times I thought, well, that's obviously referring to the Holy Spirit. The glory that God gave him, I have given them. So, referring to the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure that that fits exactly. I'm, I'm still backing up a little bit on that. But the point is, even if I don't understand exactly what that verse means, I think the second part is what's most important. Somehow, Jesus has given something to the church, to his body, after he left, that they may be one even as we are one. That's the lesson. That's what we need to get out of it. Something is at our disposal that we as a church body can experience the oneness and unity that exists in the Holy Trinity. Praise God. And that brings glory to God. And you can understand now why the devil hates the church. You can understand why he attacks the church and why there is so much division. Because if the church as a body is supposed to demonstrate the glory of God to the world, then destroy that unity and that oneness. If we are to, to even model the unity that is in the Holy Trinity to the world, just simply destroy that unity and that oneness. And he's got a lot of his work made easier. So is it any wonder that we, brothers and sisters, need to endeavor do your part. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Another point here as the Spirit glorifies Christ by the church is the church is developed into a beautiful bride. I think I'm just going to let you meditate on that one. I see I'm going to have to move pretty fast through my other points here. So we know that, that, that there's another word picture that God gives us for the relationship between Christ and the church is that, that of a body and bride, or as a bridegroom and a bride. And Christ is the bridegroom, the church is the bride. The church is to preserve herself, spotless, waiting for that coming day of the consummation of the marriage. We all know that. And so, again, that behooves us to, to recognize the importance of the sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that is His ministry in keeping the the bride pure for that coming day of the consummation of the marriage. I think that's all I'm going to say on that. A lot could be said. It's things that we can talk about together and and grow together in as we just take each one of these things and realize there's just a lot more that we can learn. A lot of ways we can take these things and just expand them and get the lessons that God intended for us to have out of them. Another one is that the Spirit distributes gifts in the body of Christ. I couldn't leave that one out. That's important. It is extremely important and it's exciting to think about that as I look across a group of people here this morning 
and realize that you, you may not know what your gift is and I don't know what your gift is, but God knows. And even, even as important as that is that the Holy Spirit has given it to you. You want some proof of that? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. I won't be able to read very much here. Um, let's just begin reading in, in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So that means that he's given something to you and it is for you to profit with all. Not only that, but for the body to profit. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And what I want is this. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. This is one of about three different lists that we find in the Bible about spiritual gifts. They might be list, uh, even to be broken down into three different categories of gifts. But that's not the point right now. The point is this, that the Holy Spirit divides to every man and to every woman severally as He will. That's His job, is to put gift, a gift or gifts inside of you to be used for the glory of God. And that indeed does glorify Christ by the church. It's a subject in itself. It's a, a big subject really. But the important thing is to realize that every one of you are gifted. Every one of you have been gifted something by the Spirit to be used to glorify Jesus Christ. Another point that I have in this list is that the Spirit gives others a clear picture of Christ through the church. It's just kind of a, of a catch-all here to just look at the bigger picture once again and, and say that, well... The church, as it functions as a healthy body, as it works together in peace and unity, and as, as the various gifts are exercised within the body, it gives them a clear picture of Jesus Christ. You see, if somebody were to look at me, and me alone, if I was the church, if I was my own little church here, and they looked at me, there's a lot of things that's lacking in the life of Christ uh, that would have been in the life of Christ that are missing in my life. A lot of things. But a local body as well as the entire worldwide body of Christ encompasses the very person of Jesus Christ. So a functioning, healthy church body, can I say, looks like Jesus Christ. Because there's this brother over here that has a gift that Jesus had. 
There's a sister over here that has a gift that Jesus had or a ministry that Jesus had. And all those things. See, all that was packed into one person. Now, we're going to take you somewhere else here. I think, I think it's going to be here. Let's go to... Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to move on from the, from the spiritual gifts. Let's go on back to Ephesians chapter 3. I think I'm probably going to end up here. Ephesians chapter 3. The last part of the chapter, beginning at verse 14, Paul prays a prayer for the church at Ephesus. And so he begins, he says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And then verse 16, that word that is the beginning of his petition. This is what he's praying for. That he would grant you. That's the church at Ephesus. And certainly it expands out to include us this morning that he would grant you according to his riches and glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's one of the things that Paul prayed for. And that is by that happening, by being strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that is an aid to bringing glory to Jesus Christ. That's the way the Holy Spirit works, one of the ways in bringing glory to Christ. That we're strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Think about that and the, all the implications of that. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with with all the fullness of God. Do you see what we're talking about here? Jesus Christ was given the Spirit without measure. Jesus Christ was filled with all the fullness of God. And now Paul is praying here for this church at Ephesus to have that same experience in a body, a church body of being filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that exciting? To think about your church being filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prayed for that. Do you think he was praying for something that was impossible or unattainable? No, of course not. It is attainable. It's doable. It's our goal. Let's hold that out there. That's that carrot out there, if you will. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. What a wonderful prayer to pray for ourselves. What a wonderful prayer to pray for each other. To pray for our churches. That you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so what are we going to do with that? Look at verses 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let's just pause there for a moment. And anything that you can ask, anything that you can even think, you know, think of the most outlandish thing that would be a spiritual goal or a vision. If you can get your mind around that, and I can't, I'm sorry. My, 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 my brain's too small. Besides that, I didn't get much sleep last night. It's the rest of you. He is able to do exceeding 
above that. Doesn't say that, does it? He's able to do exceeding abundantly. Doesn't say that. It says exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's what he's able to do. And that's how he gets glory. But you know what? You know how that happens? Well, let's look at the rest of the verse. According to the power that worketh in us. Does anybody have any question about what that power is that worketh in us? Praise God for His Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Now then, unto Him, this is what it's all about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Him. The Holy Spirit has the same message in a way. The Holy Spirit says it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And He turns the spotlight on Jesus Christ. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I want to just leave you with a few questions as I wrap this up. I... I want this to be encouraging. I want these questions also to be challenging. The first question is this. I have four questions for us as we try to, to make application. What are the limitations on the power of the Spirit in my life? What are the limitations on the power of the Spirit in my life? If there is free, unlimited power available through the Holy Spirit, where are the limitations? What are they? Second one, can I recall times when the Spirit was clearly prompting me into action? I think it's good to reflect upon those, even as we end each day. Can I recall times when the Spirit was prompting me into action? Because one of our goals in this series of messages was to have a greater awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence. Another one with greater sensitivity to His voice or His promptings in my life. Number three, how would my life change if I were continually aware of the Holy Spirit's presence? How would my life change if I were continually aware of the Holy Spirit's presence? And last of all, how will my life change? How will my life change now that I have been engaged in a study of the Holy Spirit? Now that I know more because we are accountable. We are responsible. God bless you. God bless you each one. I love every one of you. I've appreciated being in your midst very much and, and uh, just thoroughly have enjoyed growing together in this. That's, that's what it's about. I've just been growing together with you and, and learning and it's been a tremendous blessing. Trust that every one of us can walk in the Spirit. God bless you.